All right. Up first, we have Glenn Eric Hamilton. Now, uh, welcome to the Noir at the Bar Reading Glen. Thank you, Alan. Yeah, you've been on the show before. We've had you on, and we had you on about this book, I believe, Island of Thieves. It came out in uh, July of 21. So um, maybe set up the book or what you're going to read from it or what part. I write a series of mystery thrillers about a semi-reformed professional thief named Van Shaw. And the latest in the series is Island of Thieves. And in Island of Thieves, Shaw is hired as a security consultant to protect the art collection of a billionaire businessman who has recently purchased an island in the San Juans off of the Washington State coast, envisioning it as his flagship location, uh, building it as a, as a sort of a Camp David West. But on the island's first major gathering, Shaw runs into a spot of trouble. And I'll be reading from a passage in the book covering that. Fantastic. Looking, looking forward to it. So Shaw retreated to the shore and headed for the gallery again. He stepped nimbly over the splits on the rock and the small permanent pools waiting for the advancing tide to refresh them. Moonlight tinted the phosphorescent curl of each wave. Then he saw the hand. It extended up from the rock as if the shore had somehow formed around it, pale fingers stretching skyward. Reminiscent of every zombie movie poster Shaw had ever seen, a clutching claw dragging its way out of the grave. He stared for an instant. A wave splashed over and around the hand and then retreated, leaving the pale fingers dripping. He moved toward the ghastly scene. A deep crevice in the rock revealed itself, like a sliver of night in the island. Each step allows Shaw to see another inch of the arm attached to the white hand. The sleeve of a dark jacket had fallen nearly to the arm's elbow. In another few strides, he was next to the fissure, looking down at the rest of the body within. Nelson Bow, unquestionably dead. He lay on his right side with his head toward the water and a few inches lower than his legs and feet, an awkward position defined by the shape of the rock beneath him. Bow's left knee rested on a cluster of barnacles. The serrated edges of the tiny shells had torn the fabric of his trousers. His left arm had become wedged in one of the crevice's stony wrinkles, holding it aloft. Without the beckoning hand, Shaw might have stepped over him, not even noticed. Bow's head didn't look normal, even under the circumstances. Shaw knelt for a closer examination. The crown of the chemist's skull was misshapen, staved in, his left profile as pale as his hand, lips parted and teeth showing, the eye halfway open. As Shaw watched, a surge flooded the crevice, washing over the body. Bow's clothes flapped, and his hair swirled momentarily. Even the body moved, buoyed by the water. Then the wave retreated, and everything settled back into place. Only the trapped arm remained perfectly still. Shaw took a deep breath. Bow had lost a lot of blood, his crushed head almost certainly the cause. A powerful enough blow to create a large divot in the man's skull. The waves had washed the body clean and would continue to do so. Hard to imagine Bow tripping and falling so violently on the flatter part of the beach. Had he been running for some reason and taken a spill? High tide had been around midnight. Assuming Bow had died here, it must have been afterwards maybe only by a few minutes. An ebbing tide couldn't have come up high up on the beach and carried his body outward. Assume that Bao had suffered the injury to his head farther up on the beach, out of the water. For what had happened after that, Shaw could only think of two possibilities. Bao had crawled or staggered into the water and died, or someone had dragged him in, maybe with the hope that the tide would carry the body out into the street. Either way, Bao had become lodged in the crevice by the surging waves, and here Shaw stood but did not move away. He didn't want to chance stepping on or kicking anything loose from where it might lie. People didn't generally carry around blunt objects. They took advantage of what was there. He walked slowly in a wide circle, scanning the ground, leaving his flashlight in his pocket. No reason to attract attention until he was ready. 
When his first circle came up empty, he walked a larger one without much expectation. If there had been a weapon, a rock or a driftwood log, it could have been taken away or thrown a distance, on land or into the water. It wasn't close in any event. He returned to where Bao lay. Another surge of tide forced the body into a false dance. When it subsided, Sean knelt and leaned down to dip his hands into the chill froth and grab hold of the jacket's lapels. He heaved, pulling the body from the crevice. Bao's trapped arm came loose and flopped coldly onto Shaw's face. Grimacing, he set the arm down gently, the least he could do after Bao had signaled for help from beyond the river. From the dead man's jacket, Shaw removed a wallet and a passport folder. His smartphone had been shattered by the fall. It didn't respond when Shaw tried turning it on. The wallet clip held American bills, flimsy after their saltwater soak, and a Chase Bank debit card along with a Washington State driver's license. That was a surprise. Bao had said he'd never been to the state before, and here was his license with an address in the Central District of Seattle. Shaw replaced the wallet and unzipped the passport holder, the deep red cover of the People's Republic of China. He flipped it open. The photo was undoubtedly the chemist, staring placidly back. The name given in English lettering below the Chinese characters was Yen Silong, born in Guangdong province. The issue date for the passport was two years prior. Not necessarily odd, Shaw thought. Loads of people from other nations had westernized names to go with their first names, and the link between the two wasn't always obvious. But combined with Bao's white lie about his Seattle address, Shaw wondered what other secrets Bao held. He rezipped the passport folder, wiping his fingerprints from it, and set it back in Bao's pocket. Another tidal surge filled the crevice. The water lapped over the edges and onto the corpse. Bao stared up with sightless eyes. He looked slightly accusatory being left in this undignified state. Sorry, Shaw said to the dead man, and reached for his phone to call Anders. Well, fantastic. Um, I have to say, you're you're very descriptive. Do you do you actually put yourself in the in the scene um, when you're writing something like that? Do you do you put yourself where? Where, where you're writing about in order to sit around and come up with all the descriptions? Absolutely, yes. If I if I can go to a physical location, all the better. I'll try to take notes about where I'm there. But as far as putting myself in the scene, I have a theater background. One of my first rules of writing is always to, to read out loud and try to imagine what the character is feeling at that moment and the emotions going through them. Um, coming out of reading a lot of plays and, and acting in a lot of plays, you know, the first the first thing, everything comes from within, especially when you're uh, narrating from the character's point of view. Well, it comes across great. Fantastic. And and thank you for doing the reading. And we look forward to seeing you at the uh, Left Coast Grime in Seattle. Absolutely. See you there. Okay. And now we go down to John, and he's always at the uh, noisiest part of the bar. 